0: I
1: think we've known one another at least 30 years, maybe a little longer. And God used him in a great way here in this community. And um, I think at one time you probably had one of the largest youth groups here, right, in town. Huh? Probably, yeah. And then... um, uh, pastored over in um, Bradenton for a long time. God did a wonderful thing, a great outpouring. He's, uh, he has a, a, a ministry of mercy and grace. And um, he uh, went to uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And he's come back. And when I had a chance to talk to him the other day, I told him that I felt like there was some unfinished business here and a harvest that God had for him um, that he has not seen yet, things he had dreamed about while he was here and that God was going to use him in Sarasota for, uh, to bring a harvest that God had promised him a long time ago. So I'm glad that his introduction back to Sarasota is starting at where? Everybody say the harvest. So, we, I love him, I believe in him, and uh, that was his daughter that sang, and wow, what an anointing on her life. And uh, I want you to open your heart up and give him a good Harvest Tabernacle welcome. Will you do that?
0: Thank you, brother. Thank you. Well, I've seen some familiar faces, and I am truly honored that you would have us down, and I'm really honored that you would put us in such a wonderful place to stay. That that house is just incredible. There's, I think, five bedrooms in there. We've invited 30 people over. He doesn't know that. We've had a big clan. Not really. We behaved. We did well. We did well. But we appreciate your hospitality. I'll tell you, uh, as I had mentioned the first service, this is a real honor for me. But I never go anywhere or do anything usually that I don't really pray and ask God, is this just another divine appointment for such a time as this? And I think this weekend is a divine appointment, not just for me, but for your church. Um, I don't believe it's coincidence I'm here. That has nothing to do with whether I'm Mr. Anointed or not. But it just has to do with the fact that I believe God has given me a word for the church a word to encourage and I love what you said Pastor Jim that there are a lot of seeds that God had blessed us to sow years ago and those seeds many of them have come to fruition many of them haven't but we are just radical enough to believe that those seeds will come in our lifetime before we die. And I believe there's many of you I've seen, I've talked to some folks in the last two years, we were down at the beach and they had what was called a carpenter shop reunion. The carpenter shop was our youth ministry on Tuttle, right off of Tuttle, and uh, gosh, I saw 30 or 40 folks that we had ministered to for years, outpourings of the spirit with some of these guys. We've never seen it like it since. We just saw great moves of God's spirit. I want you, if you would, though, I'll tell you something that touched my heart, two things. Um, one about just this recent tragedy. Uh, was that last night? Um, I thought about it. It somewhat plays into what I believe God's put in my heart to share. And um, I want you, if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So many times these things happen way away from us, in Paris, somewhere in another country, somewhere in another state. But then it starts to get close to home. Orlando's not far. But we find ourselves many times shocked at the things that happen that are tragic. And we as Christians should be the ones who are really more in tune with what's happening in the world today than anybody. We should be the ones that are not shocked by tragedies, but we should be the ones that are provoked to move more against the enemy than ever before. And I fear many times that we've fallen asleep in the church, in the body of Christ. We've been wooed to sleep. I was, I was singing the song this morning. And I was caught again with this where we pray. And I, I do this all the time. I love your worship here. I love it. I just, it just so encourages me. As we were singing, Lord, you're a consuming fire. I thought, do we really know what it is when we say, God, send down your fire? What are we really praying for? Send down your fire. I I used to always think, well, that's just the presence of God and I'm going to bask in it. I'm going to leap and I'm a joy. And that is part of it. I believe that. But the other part when we call for God's fire is a purging. It's a cleansing process. When I call for God to send down his fire, which I'm praying for in my life, I want to be pure and holy and righteous and set apart so I can be used in a greater way for him. So it is right to pray for the fire, but it's good to understand when you pray, a lot of stuff will probably come to surface. A lot of things may be exposed. A lot of facades that we wear may be torn down. A lot of the things that we don't want anybody to know about when we pray, God, send down your fire. How many of you want the fire? I don't know now either. Well, we, we, we say it, but you know, so much of the time the fire comes in our individual life. And then we fall prey to questioning God, questioning his word. We go into depression. We go into discouragement. We say, God, I thought you were always good. Well, he is always good. Well, is it not good to purchase of ourselves? And so much of our Christianity today is consumer. We, 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 we bask in, in waiting for God to do things for us all the time. I thought about what is the greatest way to overcome addiction, overcome paralysis, overcome pain and agony. I believe it's to press in to the things of God. It's to do the work of the ministry. It's, it's, sometimes I find myself praying all the time about me and my problem. And I think, wait a minute. The Bible says you are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. We are His. We are his for his plan and his purpose. I want to read in chapter three. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. How many of you see that happening already? Terrible times. It's worse and it's worse. I'm 66 years old and I'm seeing worse and worse. I'm seeing more chaos than I've ever seen. Things like happened last night are, are not normal. They're not the normal, but they're becoming the normal. And it's, it's doing something to the body of Christ. It says, people will be lovers of themselves. Say that with me. Lovers. lovers of themselves. It says, they will be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Paul goes on to Timothy, he says, have nothing to do with them. What really strikes me is a form of godliness, but denying the power. I know when I first got saved, I was on fire for God. You just, um, you, you, you couldn't tell me anything that was in the script that I didn't believe I could do. I believe I could do it. I like Pastor Jim. You know, we just, when we were coming along, we believed we could do anything. We believed we could conquer the world. We believed that when we laid hands on the sick, they would get healed. We believed that that if God said it, we'd do it. We believed in, in having words of knowledge for people. We believed in moving in the gifts and the power of the Spirit. We believed that God would do great exploits through us. And we read scriptures like... um Acts eight, where it says, tarry in Jerusalem to be, to, until you be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We believed that God would actually baptize us in the Holy Spirit. And he said, when the Holy Spirit came on you, you would move and be endued with power. And we thought, what does that power do? It moves mountains. We were aggressive. I, I don't remember in the earlier days it having much to do with us. It seemed like we were all about wanting to do for Christ. We wanted to reach street people. We wanted to reach broken hearts. We wanted to reach people who were lost. And so we gave ourselves to everything possible. And we knew we had to have power to do it. But we also knew we had to have power to stay pure and right and holy. As I studied, this last week was taken by a story that's been going over and over in my mind, David and Goliath. And I love David. I love David because David screwed up like I screwed up. David just, he's just a real person, you know, and I, I love his heart. And the Bible just seems to compare every king to David, you know. I mean, he had a heart like David or he didn't have a heart like David. And David somehow found mercy and grace in God through everything he did. And he gave mercy and grace in everything he did. But David was the most least likely you would pick in the Bible to be used the way he did. Especially in the time in the, the story we read about Goliath. And yet I look at my life and I think I'm the most, le- how many of you believe you're the most least likely? When you look at the back, how many of you know you're the most least likely? You don't just believe it. And how many of you have just gone ahead and bought into it that you, not only the most least likely to be used, you just won't be used. Don't raise your hand. Do you know that God chooses the most least likely? Everything about him, even the way he designed Jesus, it said there was nothing about him that was beautiful. It said there was nothing that would attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, born in a manger. Even God's appearance on earth was one of most least likely. And I think about Gideon. And I think about some of the greats we read about, the most least likely, small in their own sight. When they looked at themselves in a mirror, if they had a mirror back then, all they saw was somebody who was least likely to be used. I want to challenge you this morning before I leave that every one of us sitting here will become the most likely to be used by God. Because if there's ever a time where the body of Christ needs to be empowered by God, it's today. If there's ever a time where we need to be raised up, it's today. If there's ever a time that we need to get up and get back in the race, it's today. No more crying, no more weeping, no more mourning over our sins, no more, "I'm, I'm this, oh, you don't understand me. It doesn't matter whether I understand you or not. We serve a living God that takes us out of that depths of despair Bear and moves us into the front lines oh, yeah. on, if we're truly born again and filled with the spirit he will use us to do great exploits you know i i look at what happened and i don't know when you read that the very i mean uh, when you shared that this morning when the um occurrence and the massacre in paris and then the other massacres that have taken place the first thing that comes on me is what what do you think A certain amount of fear, a certain i mean it's just it, it's not of god but it's the first thing that hits me i'm thinking wow that could happen any minute that could happen while we're here this morning that could happen in this service that could happen anywhere we are in mcdonald's wherever we are it could happen any minute and i ask myself am i living in fear or am i living in opposition to the enemy in such a way that we move mountains there are people that are so fearful in the body of christ and we we tend to take on the world's principles and the world's way of dealing with things we are are the ones that are extraordinary we are the Daniels we are the Esthers we're the ones that rise above the circumstances we're the ones who are to know the signs of the times he says it's going to get worse and worse he said these times will get worse so in the times that get worse how should we be how do we respond to things like this I think first of all to recognize where it comes from where does that come from from the enemy. It says, Jesus, Jesus said, I came to give you life and more abundantly. What way he say to the enemy? He came to what? Kill, Kill, steal, and destroy. He says, he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And really, some of us here today, I really believe, tragically, have been set aside by the enemy under fear, guilt, condemnation, or age. We might feel we're washed up because of our age. I don't know about you, but I'm not getting older. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. I look in the mirror and it's a lie. It's just a lie from the pit of hell. I got the same mirror. You got the same mirror. We're great and we're wise. I brother, look at this. That's right. we're wise. That's right. Bible says we're full of wisdom yep. Full of wisdom, full of wisdom. I had a brother that I love dearly. He's, um, we've been in prayer meetings and he's crazy. He's just crazy. so out of the box. I believe he's a real prophet. Um, he doesn't call himself a prophet because he just doesn't want to get into titles and stuff. But he's crazy. He's the type of guy. We went to a conference a few weeks back and um, it was a men's conference. And his son's a Navy SEAL. And he's an I want to be Navy SEAL, Navy SEAL. His dad is. But he's the type of guy that when his son was saying he wanted to be a Navy SEAL before he went into all the training, Ted is the type of guy that would send his son running across the yard with a big trash can, um, what do you call it, the, the lid, and he would shoot shots through the trash can to get him used to, to being used to being under fire. I mean, he's crazy. He's just crazy. He'd, he'd go to jail uh, for probably a lot of stuff he does. <laughs> but we go, to this, we go to this men's conference, and if you're a Navy SEAL, if during Hell Week, you ring the bell if you just can't take any more. And there were 260 folks any navy seals in here but there were 260 folks in his son's class and during hell week they go five six days without any sleep and they work them to death and he said so he constantly are hearing the bell men that just say this is not for me i give up and that's the bell. so ted brings this bell with him to our men's conference and he also brings, we were singing about the bride this morning, he brought a wedding dress. I said, for heaven's sakes, Ted, please tell me God didn't tell you to put on the wedding dress. <laughs> we're at a men's conference, At all the things, please don't do that. So he said, no, it's just to be a symbol of the bride, and I said, and, and if you're around Ted long enough, you don't know what that really means that he's going to do. So we're in this men's conference, and Ted what's the bell up on the side? And so one of the guys finally asked, he said, well, after our third session, I guess our second session, he said, what's the bell for? And he said, well, I'm glad somebody finally asked. He said, I want you to ring the bell if you are ready to give up. And he said, in God's kingdom, we ring the bell when we're ready to surrender and we're not discarded and not a Navy SEAL. We are brought into the kingdom when we ring the bell. It's when we're willing to let go of everything and surrender that we ring the bell and say, that's it. And every one of us that are truly born again came to that place sometime in our life where we're willing to ring the bell. So this one guy right after he says that runs over the bell and bangs on it and rings it. And that's it for a little while. There's a guy in a wheelchair and he's got cerebral palsy. He's been in that wheelchair almost all his life. And to look at him outwardly, I don't know about you, but when you see someone extremely handicapped and and they're deformed and and they can't really move around like normal, your tendency is to, to size them up in a certain way or read their cover and not know much about them. Um, so he's real quiet for the first day and a half. And um, all of a sudden, we were in the middle of a discussion. We were talking about being men of God, being strong men of God. And it hit me to ask him, I said, um, Brian, what does that Or how do you filter that when people talk about being men of God? He said, strange you would ask that. And he has to kind of strain as he talks. He said, most of my life when I've been at men's meetings or conferences, he said, when they bring up being strong... Or men of God, it seems to eliminate me because I'm confined to a wheelchair. I don't have the stature and the stamina that others do. So it tends to set me aside. He said, one day as I was going through a guilt time and feeling left out and feeling less than, he said, God spoke to me and said, I've allowed every one of my people to have some kind of handicap. And how they deal with it is crucial as to how they advance my kingdom. And he said, I learned a long time ago to take the handicap I have and overcome it with the presence and the power of God. And he said, I was called to be a child of God. No handicap, no strain, no chair, no, no guilt, condemnation is going to hold me back from being all God wants me to be. So another guy that was standing there that had come to our conference, he'd fallen off a ladder about six weeks before that. He was, said his arm was all smashed and battered. He, his neck was out of joint. He said, all my life I've been in control. I just, I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. I happen to be on pain pills and I'm really suffering. I can hardly walk. Well, after this guy gets done sharing and he's standing next to him, he puts his hand on the guy's shoulder and he lifts his hand. He says, I ain't got any problems. He said, my life's nothing compared to this guy. So he runs over and rings the bell. I want to tell you what that did to me. I thought about it. I thought, God, when we take charge of our lives in you, our handicaps, our alcohol, our addictions, whatever they might be. You remember the story where Jesus came and it said the man was on the bed. He was lying by the bed by the pool. And John, I think it is five. And he's, what does he say? He says, do you really want to be healed? And he says, well, I don't have anybody to put me in. And Jesus kind of cuts right through all of that. And he says, rise up, take up your bed and walk. So the guy takes up his mat and walks. And it always struck me that taking up his mat was him taking up his handicap, taking up his excuses, taking up all the things he would constantly throw if he could to God as to why he wouldn't heal. I want to tell you this morning, let's take up our handicaps. Let's take up our problems and let's walk. Let's do what God's called us to. So anyway, let me, let me finish this. Ted calls me this morning, actually texted me at 3.30. And he said, I've had a dream. He said, I had a dream for you. He was up praying for me at 3.30. He said, I had a dream. He said, somebody in your congregation, I don't know whether it's spiritual or whether it's going to be physical. He said, but somebody has got a left hand that's been cut off. And so first I was looking around this morning to find somebody that had a hand cut off. But he said, it's not the hand that was cut off. Do you? It's the right one. He said left. But here here was the significance. I prayed after we talked. He said, somebody has had a handicap. And in my dream, he said it was a hand that was cut off. And because the hand was cut off, this person was always pushed to the back of the line in everything. His life became one of back in the back corner. And he says because of that handicap, he was always criticized, he was always looked down on. And he said, I want to share with you, Rick, it may be more than just one, but he said somebody in the group with you has been pushed back to the back in their mind all the time. And he said, this is their day of deliverance. This is their day where no longer will they be devalued. This is the day that no longer will they be looked down on because the God of heaven and all the angels are standing up and applauding and giving honor to that one. And he said, there are people in there probably who will rise up today and for the first time hear God say, I love you. Get back in the race. I'm with you. We will make all of heaven, rejoice over your obedience. So, brother, I'm not undermining you because it wasn't your left arm. But I want to tell you, God has a plan. Turn, if you would, I want I to go, I hadn't even started yet, so no, I have. Turn, if you would, to First Samuel. And I want to end this morning with David and Goliath. In chapter 16 says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your home with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And you can read on about what he said and kind of argue with the Lord about Saul would find him. But he, he says this in verse 6, when they arrived to the sacrifice, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointing stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You can clap on that one. It's good. The Lord looks at the heart and not on the outward appearance. I am so glad that the outward things that you and I have picked up and things that we have done, I'm glad that God has looked at our hearts through our trials, through our struggles. So he goes on to say this. He says, Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked, Are there any others that you have. Wow, I just cannot tell you how significant this is. Pastor Jim and Pastor Dan, you have a congregation of people, I believe with all my heart, who have been looked over, have been passed over, who have been set aside A congregation of people, for whatever reason, maybe because of failure, maybe because of handicaps, maybe just your own doing, but have been looked over and passed over. I'm here to tell you this morning, this is the day that the Lord has made and He is rejoicing over you. This is the day that your handicaps, your ailments, your sickness and diseases, I believe, will be set aside if you'll rise up and let God do the work He wants to do. This is the day that the rivers of living water will come over your heart and your soul. This is the day that God will move on your behalf. This is the day, if you'll let it, that God will do great things through you. This is the day, I believe, gifts will be distributed among you in ways you never dreamed. This is the day who you were designed to be will be anointed and you will become all that God wants you to be. So David is out tending sheep. He's out tending sheep. He's busy and wasn't even considered. I mean, Samuel had to say, is there another one? He was so far down on probably the consideration totem pole. He was out tending sheep and they didn't even acknowledge him until last. So he said he came in, he said we're not going to do anything Do we look at this one. He looked at him, God said rise and anoint him, he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil anointed him in the presence of his brothers, which probably wasn't a good thing but he did. And from that day on the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Came upon him in power. Let's stand up for a minute if we could. if you will indulge me for a few minutes. When we rose up, we rose up because someone asked us to rise up and stand in a meeting. We rose up, some kind of got up this way, some jumped up, some whatever. But I want you to know when the power of Almighty God falls upon us, we rise up in a way that we've never risen before. Right. When the Holy Spirit pours out his spirit on an individual or on a corporate group of people, we rise up in ways we've never risen before. There are people crying out all over the world for us to rise up and stand. There are people in the streets, in the highways and byways, waiting for us to stand in self-denial to serve Jesus with all our heart. As we rose this morning, I want this to be a visual symbol. Look around, look around standing next to you. God doesn't want us sitting. He wants us rising and standing. God doesn't want us on our laurels. He wants us to rise in power and then to go. Now don't run forward, but I want you to know God wants to rise His body. He wants to raise us up instead of us be a seated foe. Be seated if you can. Now, maybe you're awake. David goes down to see Israel and the Philistines standing on two separate mountains and a valley in between. But he's sent by his dad. He's just busy. David never asked God what was going to happen that day that we read about. He took the goods that his father sent him down to take down to his brothers and to the army. And he goes down. The first thing he sees as he rises up in the morning, it said early in the morning, chapter 17, verse 20, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up, went out, saw his brothers. He reached the camp. And right as he went to the battle... It said he saw them rising up to go out to the battle cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up, their lines facing each other. David had left his things with the keeper of the supplies. As he was talking with his brothers, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. It says just before that, that he had risen up every day, not David, but the Philistine, morning and night, defying Israel for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I don't know about you, but I asked the question, I asked God, what is it like or what must it have been like? We read the end of the story. But to be Israel, Saul had lost the anointing of God. The spirit of the Lord was not upon him. It had transferred to David, who was not king yet. What was it like to rise up, be ridiculed, defied every day, twice a day by a giant and an army who was known to be a mighty army? What was it like to go running to the battle lines and then every time the enemy came, we retreated? What would that have been like? Now, love me through this, but I believe that's a picture of the body of Christ. I believe it's where we are today. I believe we come and we line up to battle, but we're missing something. We line up with good intent. We line up wanting to win. We line up wanting to overcome the enemy. But we've been almost sold this thing. Saul sold his army. He said, look, if you'll just defeat him, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you riches, and I'll tell you what else I'll do. I'll give you my daughter, and I'll tell you what else I'll do. You won't have to pay taxes anymore. That's not the heart of God wasn't the heart of God. You don't buy people to go against the enemy. What had happened to Israel? Israel didn't have the anointing or the power it had had once before. Some of you and some of me, we have just been through tremendous defeat. We've failed. We somehow have allowed the enemy to put us on the sideline. Well, here comes this young buck that I think he came with three things. I'll just tell you real quick. The first thing I believe he came with was the anointing and the power of God. He came with a kingly and a priest anointing. Bible says you and I are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We have been given by the presence and power and almighty spirit of God. We have been given a kingly anointing, not a weekly anointing not a form of godliness without power. We've been given a priestly anointing. It says in Revelation chapter 12... The accuser of the brethren, our enemy, has been defeated or is defeated, been overcome by what? The blood of the lamb, the kingly anointing, has been overcome by the fact that Jesus paid it all. Guys, what happened last night is going to continue to happen all over our world. Jesus even said, some of you who serve me will be killed for my sake. Many of you will be persecuted and rejected. It's not going to get any better. But that doesn't mean we retreat. We change culture. We go into the highways and byways. We transform the 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 cities and the places that we're called to be. We don't retreat. We advance the kingdom of God. But how do we do it? We have to have a kingly anointing. David was not king, but yet he was king. The power of God had made him something he was not yet in the physical. But in the spiritual realm, he was a king. That's why he was so different when he came to see this situation. David was different than anybody else that was there. He was different than the Philistines. He was different from Goliath. He was different from his brothers. He was different from Saul. He was different from everyone else there. Why? The anointing of God was on him. It's such a picture of us that God wants us to capture today. So he comes and he looks and here's, here's David's response. The Israelites were saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter and he'll exempt his father's household from taxes. David asked the men standing near, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine? I, I used to believe it. David was just this little kind of punk kid. And so he's going, what will be given to me if I do this? What's going to be given? You know, like you like he would, he would be looking more for the reward. But I don't think that's what David was doing. I don't think that's why he continued to ask that question. I believe probably deep in David's heart, he was appalled that there was a bargaining chip on the table to defeat Goliath. I believe he was so jealous for God that he would never want to be bought or paid something to do something great for God. He would never put God in some kind of position to say, if you'll do that, I'll do this. David just had this this, uh, tender, precious heart toward God. And I believe when he asked these questions, he was asking it probably for them to hear themselves. Probably because it just, he wanted to know where Israel really was. But here's what he says. And with whom, or excuse me, he says... um, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Nobody else was saying that. Nobody else said, do you see how this Philistine comes out and defies the the army of God? David asked the question again, verse twenty-eight. Eliab, David's oldest brother, comes out, says to him. He said he burned with anger at David. Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You've come down only to watch the battle. Now David says, "Well, isn't there a cause? Or what have I done?" He said, "Can I even speak?" Then he turned away to someone else and brought the same matter up and they gave him the same report. David then was ushered to Saul because Saul called for him. And when he came to Saul, now picture this. David's got a kingly anointing. David sees something that appalls him. He's angry at the enemy. And I believe rightfully so. But he says to Saul, right when he comes to him, doesn't say Saul says anything. He says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Let me read that again. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart. Lose heart, what does that mean? Fear. Let no one sit in paralyzation. Let no one be gripped by this. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, for your servant will go. And I love he says servant. Saul replied, you are not able. I want you to know the devil has told so many of us we are not able he lives to accuse us so that we believe we 're not able, well we 're not able outside of a kingly anointing we 're not able outside of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has given us the ability to move mountains to heal the sick, to cast demons out, to raise the dead. I remember one day in, in the back of my apartment, I was reading scriptures on healing, and um, just just doing a devotional time, and I heard this terrible scream and behind me was a fence about eight feet tall and I heard this this this, just a blood-curdling scream from a older woman and I went and I jumped up on the fence they had the little part way up board and I stepped up and I looked and she was holding it looked like a little one or two year old baby they had a pool in the backyard as I found out she was babysitting the little baby had fallen into the pool and drowned and um she was, I don't know how long she'd been there, but she was swollen from being full of water. Um, she was purple. There was no breath. And she was just there and there screaming. And um, I remember I didn't pray. I didn't, um, I didn't say, oh, God, what do I do? I leaped over the fence. I, well, leapt over, excuse me. I leapt over the fence. Get my English right. I ran to the lady that was holding the baby. The fear on her face... The discouragement on her face, I will never forget as long as I live. The, the thought of how do I handle this? The thought of trauma beyond trauma. And you would be the same, I'm sure. I grabbed the baby, and I heard this as I grabbed the baby. I heard the Holy Spirit say, breathe life into her mouth. It sounded kind of stupid at the moment, but I opened her little mouth and she was dead. I mean, she and I went. And I felt like this warmth come out of my throat. And the little baby threw up all the water. And within two minutes, she came back to life. I got to tell you something. I don't say that for my glory. I want to say I can relate to David coming on a scene, seeing a travesty, seeing all of God's people in fear and gripped with this this. This ugly, great, big, tall, anointed, not even anointed, this Goliath who had put him in paralysis, and David comes on the scene. He's not really asking a whole lot of God. He just said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of Israel? I want to ask you this morning, who is it that is defying the body of Christ today? Who is it that is defying us, that is ridiculing us, is telling us we can't live a victorious life in Christ? Who is it? It angers me. I begin to look at my own life and say, no, I'm not listening to all the paralysis stories the enemy throws on me. I'm not listening anymore to you failed, you lost your marriage, you committed adultery, you did all the things in the past. I'm listening to God who says, I am a God who forgives and forgets and passes all your sins as far as the east is from the west. But the enemy, the accuser, had all of Israel in paralysis. Paralysis. I love David. He says, don't anybody be afraid. See, he wasn't just saying that. I mean, because in in, um, Revelation 12, it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of his testimony, which now David had to give to Saul to get permission to go. Saul says, you're not able. You're but a youth. He says, this man has been a fighting man since war. You don't have the capacity. You don't have the strategies. You don't have the man of war mentality. And David said, but you don't understand, Saul. He said, when the bear came and robbed one of the sheep I was tending to, he said, I went after it. I love that. He didn't just say, oh no, another sheep gone. We better stay away. He said, I went after the one. And he said, I gripped the sheep out and pulled it out of the mouth of the bear. And he said, and I love this. Then when the bear turned on me, what did he do? He said, I gripped it by its hair and killed it. And then the lion came and did the same thing, and he said, "I not only got the sheep out, but I killed the lion." He said, "I will do the same. And my God, who delivered the sheep out of the lion and delivered me from the lion and the bear, will deliver me from this Philistine." When I read this story, I read it and I get challenged. I read about David, but it's not me yet. I read it and I see what David did. And that's usually the excuse. Well, that was David. Why well, you got to picture this. He's the youngest, the most least likely to be used by God. He's the most disabled in the natural. He didn't have all the natural abilities. And yet he's the one that God chose to be uniquely different. Why? Because he dared to believe God for the impossible. Saul finally, in his frustration, says, okay, go. I pray the Lord be with you, but before you go put on my armor, and I want to labor here just a minute before I end. When David put on his armor, you remember the story? Put on the armor, and I'm sure Pastor Dan and Pastor Jim have probably preached on this a number of times, but he says he tried to walk around in the armor, but it just didn't work. Why is that? It just wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work. He had not tested it. And David was smart enough. I love his, I think he was smart enough because he somehow was out of the box. You just couldn't put him in, he, he'd not been around long enough to have been put in a box. And he just, he says, Saul, I can't go in this. And he just took it off. He said, I can't do it. I want this morning for some of you to hear this. Take off the armor that you've taken on. It's not you. Take on, take off the personality that's not you that you've tried to take on. Take off the call, the anointing, the the whatever it might be, the gifts that somehow you've tried so desperately to live in that have just waylaid you and that hold you back. Lay them aside. God loves you and made you just the way you are. God made you different, unique, special. God made you repent of that. God, I lay it aside. I lay my pride aside. I lay my business. I'm trying to be a, a strong businessman and I'm not. Or I've been a businessman and I'm trying to let money make me something I'm not. But I lay it all aside and be who God called you to be. Be who God called you to be. It's the only way the Goliath in life truly get defeated. So what does he do? Goes and gets the stones. You know the story. Has his sling, gets the rocks, goes up against the Philistine. And I love, the Philistine says, he laughs at him, he mocks him. He says, am I a dog that you come out against me with your staff, with your stick? Well, you know the story. David says, you come at me With what? Spear, javelin, in the natural, in your own strength. I come against you in the name of Almighty God the God over all of Israel, the God over the body of Christ, the God over you and me, the God over Harvest Tabernacle, the God who loves every one of us, the God who has called us to be mighty warriors and not be wimpy weaklings, the God who's calling us today to arise, the God who said, seeing that you've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us rise up, lay aside every weight, every sin that so easily besets us, and let us run the race that is set before us. Guys, we have got to get back into the race. We've got, to, we've got to let God rise us to new heights again if we're going to see things thwarted like we saw last night. And I do believe we can thwart things like happened last night. I do believe the power of God can move the mountains. And I'm not saying, I'm not blaming, I'm not, I'm not doing anything other than telling you, you and I have been given uniqueness in Christ. Let's stand together if we can.
1: Hallelujah.
0: I thank you for bearing with me this morning. in The first service, I was able to use a lot more humor. But somehow my humor went out the window when I thought about families today that are going to have to labor over loved ones that were killed last night and not have answers and not know where to turn and many that probably will go into deep despair and who knows what the outcome will be. But yet you and I have been given the most wonderful answers in the world. We have The greatest story to tell. David overcame, I believe, the enemy. He was whipped when David gave his testimony to Saul. And I believe the greatest gift you and I have. We may not know the Bible great, but we have a living testimony. If you're born again and God's touched your life, you have a testimony of the power of God. And when the enemy comes and he will, he's going he's to he's turn up the heat, guys. The heat's going to get greater. I will prophesy this. The times are going to get tougher. The times are going to get harder. But it's going to be to get us to rise. It's to purge us. It's to separate out that which is of God and that which isn't. And I believe with all my heart, many of us will rise up. will be day- of our generation. Israel went and defeated the Philistines because of one young man that dared to tackle all of the opposition and the fear that was thrown at him. You and I can do the same in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray you would give them a special, special call this morning. I pray, God, you would pour the fire out. I pray, God, as you told Timothy through this letter from Paul, To stir up the gift that was in him. Stir up the fire that was in him. Fan into flame the fire that's in him. Lord, you've not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I pray that spirit would flow over this place this morning. In Jesus' name. Touch my brothers, God. In Jesus' name. And my sisters.
1: Hallelujah. Come on, put your hands together. Give God some praise. How are you to play? What are you being asked to do? To many membered everybody, we all have a part to play. We can't do it without you. Whether it's the outfield or first base or whatever it is, we all have a part to play. And nothing Will light your fire. You know what I'm talking about? Light your fire? Nothing will light your fire when you find yourself actively involved in building the kingdom of God and God working through you. So it's time for the army to rise up. I said, it's time for the army to rise up. Oh, you know what? That's like one of those golf claps. I want every one of you that will put aside all of those excuses and just simply play your part. I'm so glad that I don't have to be somebody else. I got enough problem being me than trying to be somebody else. But if you are trying to be someone else, then who you are, we're all going to be missing that part. Just like you are, unique with that little twitch you have, those little oddities. The Holy Ghost makes up the difference. We're a mighty army. I said we're a mighty army. Come on, I want to hear your roar. Rejected by man, but accepted by God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Forced to be reckoned with.